Good evening. <clears throat> Tonight we are going to have our second installment of this little sermon mini-series entitled Going Back to the Well, based upon the chapter designations in a, in a workbook by Brother Kent Heaton entitled Bible Stories at the Well. Tonight's title is entitled, tonight, yeah, tonight's lesson is entitled, The Well of Seeing. The Well of Seeing. And it comes from the name that Hagar gave God when he addressed her in Genesis 16 and verse 13. But our story begins long before that moment. If you'd turn in your Bibles tonight to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is where our story begins that brings us to the well. Genesis chapter 12. In that chapter, we see Abram at 75 years of age was promised by God that a great nation would come from him. Verses one through four. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in all in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Takes a lot of faith to uproot everything you've ever known at that age, but Abram did. Later on, the Lord comes to him in a vision, telling him that his heir would come from his own body. Genesis chapter 15, if you'd turn there, please. In verse 1, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring, indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he, that is God, accounted it to him for righteousness. Abram said, I'm an old man. He said, I have no children. Is it going to be this one born in my house to another that's my heir? And God said, no. He came outside and he said, your, your descendants are, are going to be like these stars. And you know, it's that kind of faith that the Apostle Paul would later write about and say that we as New Testament Christians need to have, that we must have, that kind of faith in God, 
and the gospel and that Abraham's story is just an illustration or an application of that. If you turn with me for a moment to Romans 4, hold your finger here in Genesis, but turn with me to Romans 4 if you would please, beginning at verse 18 and look what it says. Speaking of Abraham, verse 18 says, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed. We could say against all odds. It was against the impossible. Contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Everything pointed to the fact this wasn't possible. It's been easy to say, God, it's just not possible. It's, this can't happen. But he didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. We just read that in Genesis 16, Genesis 15. But then look what Romans 4 and verse 23 says. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Brother Heaton says, sometime after this vision in, in Genesis, back here in Genesis 15, sometime following the vision, Abram's wife Sarah, or Sarai, seemed to feel that her age, at the time of, of these events here in Genesis 15, being around 75, she seemed to believe that her age prohibited her from bearing children, and so to <laughs> further the plan of God along, to take matters into her own hands, as it were, she gave her Egyptian handmaid to her husband to obtain children by her. She's trying to act on behalf of God. Brother Heaton says, the plan went badly. <laughs> that it did. In Genesis 16, it says, verse 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. When she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. There was resentment. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, indeed your maid is in your hand to do, do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Abram said to Sarai, she's your maiden, you, you do with her what you want. And so Sarai dealt harshly 
with her. So much so that Hagar ran. Verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. It wasn't a well, it was a spring, but you can call it what you want, necessarily. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? You know, in the scriptures we see Jesus sometimes asking people certain questions. It's not that he doesn't know the answer. See, he wants to hear from us. He wants to hear from them, from their own lips, so that they, they realize and understand. She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. God said to her, go back, return. Fleeing is not the answer. You see, God's plan was far bigger than her personal comfort or convenience or discomfort or inconvenience. God's plan was far bigger. So he says, go back. And then in verse 10, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for number. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has heard your affliction. I have that highlighted in my Bible. Because the Lord has heard your affliction. Sometimes it's easy for us to think when we've been in a tough situation for a while, we know God sees it, we know it intellectually, but sometimes we're tempted to ask, where's God? Why, why does this continue? Why, why am I in this situation? But I want us to notice that the well of seeing, as we have decided to title it for tonight's lesson, the Lord heard her affliction. Do we know that the Lord knows when we hurt, how long we've hurt, and how long we've been in that situation? It just doesn't seem fair. The Lord has seen your affliction. I want you to keep your, your thumb here, but I want you to look at three psalms with me real quickly. Psalms that I hope you can take comfort from if you're in a place and you're thinking, does God really see or hear because God heard her affliction? The first one would be Psalm 6, beginning at verse 6. Would you turn there, please? Psalm chapter 6, or the sixth Psalm, beginning at verse 6, says this. I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. God 
hears our affliction. Psalm 33, beginning at verse 18, if you'd turn there, please. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our hearts shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. God sees our affliction. And finally, in Psalm 34, beginning at verse 15, look what it says. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Righteous people suffer. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. We sing a song. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. He knows all about our struggles. He does. Go back with me to Genesis 16, if you would, please. So, after the angel of the Lord in verse 11 says, The Lord has heard your affliction. You're going to have a son. He describes the son this way in verses 12 through 14. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Not necessarily the the brightest of outlooks, but God's going to take care of her and her unborn child. So then, verse 13, Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Ruai. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. If you look in your footnotes, if you have one like I have in, in my Bible, the name Bir Lahai Ruai literally means the well of the one who lives and sees me. The well of the one. Here she is, she's running, she's been mistreated, she's been used and, and, and she said, I, I got to get away from this. And she does. And she's out here by this spring and she's with child and God's angels, the, the angel of the Lord says to her, what are you doing? God knows where you're at. Sometimes I think we need to be aware that God could say to us, not, not orally, so we hear him, I understand that. What are you doing? I know where you are. I, I, I've still got this. I'm in control. Brother Heaton said, this well of seeing is a lesson of trusting in the Lord when the outlook is bleak and hope seems to fade. So verse 15 of chapter 16, Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. 
New Unger's Bible Dictionary tells us that it was about 14 years later or so when Isaac was born. In Genesis 21, if you'd turn over there. Genesis 21, it says, And the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said. Genesis 21.1. And the Lord did for Sarah, as he had spoken. God keeps his promises. That's why Abram, or Abraham was was commended because he trusted God, he did not waver, and God comes through. When God says, I'll do something, he'll do it. So he did this for Sarah. For Sarah conceived, verse 2, and bore Abram a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. <laughs> God not only keeps his word, but he keeps his word in his time when he promises to do it. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abram was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abram that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abram, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abram's sight because of his son. Again we see the, the, the problems arise and, and Sarah says you've got to get rid of this woman and her son. And, and it's Abraham's son and Abraham's saying, I don't want to do this. It was very displeasing in his sight, but God said to Abraham, verse 12, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has told to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. You see, Sarah had this plan to try to work God's plan herself under her own <coughs> direction and, and it didn't go well and there's already been problems and there were struggles and and now the struggles in the family continue but even though they kind of mess things up God says don't be afraid to send her away I'm still gonna watch over her because or I'm still gonna watch over the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed God was still willing to bless the seed because a bless Ishmael because he was still Abraham's heir and, and God loved Abraham because of Abraham's faith. So Abraham, verse 14, rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. The water in the skin was used up and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. And then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. She thought her son was going to die. They've been cast out. So she sat opposite him, lifted her voice, and wept. She's crying. She thinks he's going to die. She doesn't want to watch her child die. And God heard the voice of the lad. Same story. Years later. God knew where they were at. Then the angel of the Lord called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? I don't know how many more times the word ails is in the Bible. What ails you? You ever feel like saying to somebody, I wonder how many times God has said, wanted to say to Doug, what ails you? 
Aren't you paying attention? What ails you, Hagar? Fear not. Last time he told her, don't be afraid. This time he says, fear not. For God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. God knows where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand. For I will make him a great nation. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. Oh, the stories around the well that we glean when we look at them in the Bible. She went and filled the skin with water, gave it to the lad to drink. So God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness, became an archer and he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him out of the land of Egypt. God hears. God sees. God knows. God loves. God answers. You cannot, Psalm 139 talks to us about, I, David wrote about how he could flee to the ends of the earth and, and make his bed in Sheol and all these things. And he said, but I still can't get away from your presence. I think sometimes we need to understand that. God knows. Later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul would go on by divine inspiration to say that these two women and their two children were a divine example or a divine illustration or a divine representation of the two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. Turn to me to Galatians 4, beginning at verse 21. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. We know churches of Christ there in the Galatian region were struggling with some wanting them to go back to the old Jewish way of living and some of the old Jewish things such as circumcision and all of that and Paul addresses that rather starkly in the first verses of chapter 5 but that was the struggle but Paul explains to the Galatian churches using Abraham and Sarah the difference between the two covenants. Here it comes. Galatians 4, beginning at verse 21. Paul said, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is bondage with, in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. What it comes down to is, is that these people in the Galatian churches of Christ that wanted to go back to the old law, they wanted to go back to bondage. They wanted to go back to the bondage. Nobody could keep the old law. Paul explains in Galatians chapter three, uh, 2 and 3 how, how the old law didn't deliver anybody because nobody could keep it all. But yet some of these Christians wanted to go back to that. And so what Paul is telling them is, look, the, the woman Hagar 
and Abraham's son was from a fleshly physical union. But the child that God had promised was from Abraham and Sarah. And, and this is symbolic or, or, or an illustration of the two covenants. And why would you want to leave if you were, if you were a descendant of Abraham and Sarah, of Abraham and Isaac, if you were part of that, part of the free, why would you want to go back to being a part of those in bondage? If, if you've been set free in Christ Jesus, why would you want to go back under a system that you're in bondage to and can't possibly come out righteous by following? Why would you want to do that? That's the whole point. For it is written, verse 27, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, talking to Christians, as Isaac was, are children of promise. We as New Testament Christians are children of promise, the promise that God made that if we would submit to Christ, his son, that we could be free, free from our sins, free for eternity, that we could be true children of God. That's us, Paul says. We, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Paul says, look, just as in that day when Ishmael persecuted Isaac, when the children of bondage or the child of the bondwoman persecuted the true children, that's what's happening with the Jews who are persecuting us Christians. That's Paul's message here. That's the contrast that he's making. He said it's the same way now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Abram was told by God, let the bondwoman go. I'll still make a nation of her, but not the same as you and your descendants. Cast her out. The Jews under the new covenant were cast out as God's people. God's New Testament people are Christians, those washed in the blood of Jesus, whether they're Jew, Greek, male, female, as, as Paul made the point here in Galatians 3. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Two covenants, two agreements. Under the old covenant, in order to be a part of it or born into it, you were literally, physically born into it. You were a descendant of Abraham. You could trace your bloodline back to Abraham. Abraham, Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how you were born into that covenant. You were Jewish, you were part of that covenant. But there's a new covenant that Jesus brought in. And that new covenant, we're not just born into it physically. You can't be born into it physically. I know there's jokes about, well, I was in the Church of Christ since I was in the womb. Yeah, I know, but really. Um, you see, they didn't have a choice. They were just born into that lineage. See, we have a choice. In fact, we have a choice we have to make, and that is whether or not we want to be born into the family of God, the free woman, whether or not we want to be born into the church, into the family. Jesus explained that to Nicodemus when he said, you must be born of the water and the spirit, you can't, or else you can't enter the kingdom. 
We are born again, as he told Nicodemus, when we are willing to humble ourselves and turn to God and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. If you are here tonight and you've never done that, we would welcome the opportunity to baptize you into Christ, to make you a child of that new covenant, to give you that freedom from sin. But once you've done that, you can't, like the churches in Galatia want to go back to being under bondage, going back to earning your salvation. Well, if I'm good enough, maybe just, no, no. There's no way you can be good enough without the blood of Christ. Tonight, if you're not in Christ, we would baptize you into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you need the prayers of the church as well, for whatever it is you're struggling with, remember, God is the God who sees and hears. And he will listen to the prayers of the righteous on your behalf. And that's a promise from James 5. If you have a need tonight, let us know, please, as we stand and sing.